Blog Talk Radio. Chatting with Sherry is presented by the writers and illustrators of the future. They've been providing a means for new embedding writers to have a chance for their creative efforts to be seen and acknowledged. Welcome to Chatting with Sherry. Today we welcome back best-selling author David Farland. We're going to talk about uh, writers of the future. We're going to talk about his book. We're going to talk about a lot of stuff. It's a very interesting conversation. This was a recorded conversation, so please don't call in. Here's David. Hi, David. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's nice having you back. Yeah, good to be back. Uh, how are you, and how is everything in your end of the world? You know, it's uh, it's hot. It's going to be 110 degrees today, and uh, and therefore I'm just going to take it easy and stay inside where it's nice and air conditioned. Yeah. Where are you? I'm in St. George, Utah which is a little bit north and east of Las Vegas. So you're in the desert. That's why it's so hot. Yeah. <laughs> I've been there, I, but I've only been to, um, like that, Salt Lake City. Yeah. If you, go, if you ever go close to uh, Zion Canyon or you're on your way to, uh, to the Grand Canyon or to the... Uh, Arches National Park or up to Bryce Canyon. We're we're a good jumping off point to do all of those things. That's interesting. I've been to Colorado but I took an airplane. Actually I, when yeah. I went to Utah I took an airplane too. Yeah. <laughs> well, we've got some of the most beautiful scenery in the country right around here. Maybe some of the, no, it's it's some of the more beautiful scenery in the world, so my grandpa always used to say that uh, you know you should live you should live somewhere where other people like to go on vacation. Yep. So it, it worked for me. Yeah, I can relate to that. Yeah. Um, and they have uh, the Sundance Film Festival there. Yeah, yeah, that's up uh, closer to Salt Lake. But uh, you know that's always a fun thing to have. Um, I used to go pretty religiously up back when I lived in that area because uh, I lived in Provo which you know was a short drive to get up to Sundance it was, some of the things were showing only five miles away from my house you know but uh, uh, nowadays that I'm down in St. George I'm, I'm closer to 300 miles from from Sundance so I don't get up there very much anymore you want to hear something really funny I was um I was talking to someone about independent films, and we were talking about the different festivals. And uh, they said, I wonder where they got the name Sundance. Is it because the sun is dancing? And I'm, like, staring at my computer, and I'm, like, thinking, should I say? Um, <laughs> and I said, did you ever hear of this movie called Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid? And she yeah. said, No. I'm like, oh my god. I said, first of all, it's a great movie. Second of all, Robert Redford, who runs the Sundance Film Festival, played the Sundance Kid. Oh. Totally blew Never heard of the movie. I don't even know if she actually had ever heard of Robert Redford. <laughs> I just, like, oh my god, how could you not know that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was that was a great movie and one of the one of the uh, 
one of the big ones for its time, you know, one of the best-selling ones. So uh, certainly one of the best-selling Westerns of all time. Yeah, it's actually my favorite Western. I'm not really a big Western fan. That's my favorite. And then the other one I like is High Noon. Yeah, that, that was a great one. But I like Western comedies, like uh, Blazing Saddles or yeah. How to Support Your Local Sheriff, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> uh, well, Blazing Saddles, once again, is one of the all-time classics. Yeah, I don't know who um, Mel Brooks and uh, Richard Pryor didn't spoof in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was great. Yeah, but a lot of people don't realize that. Um, Richard Pryor, Gene uh, Wilder, and uh, Mel Brooks all were the writers for that. Oh, and Buck Henry. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it was a fun movie uh, uh, because, you know, they worked on it so closely together. Uh, mm -hmm. It seemed like they had a great sense of camaraderie on it. Yeah, and um, I heard this from Richard Pryor. I don't know if it's true, but you know the end when the chauffeur opens the door for Cleavon Little and Gene Wilder to get in at the end of the movie? Uh -huh. Richard said that was him. Oh, really? <laughs> he goes, it's an unbilled cameo because they wouldn't let him in the movie. He wanted to sneak in somehow, and that was his only <laughs> way of doing it. <laughs> Well, wasn't he scheduled to be in the movie and then he kind of dropped out? Well, uh, I, according yeah. to him and Mel Brooks, he, they wanted him. He wrote it originally with Richard. Yeah. And he wanted Richard to play uh, the the Bar Black Bart, I think that was the name of the character. Uh, yeah. It, um, that's who he wanted, but the studio wouldn't do it because Richard got in some kind of trouble. I don't know if he had, it was drugs yet or what, but yeah, they know. wouldn't finance it with Richard in it. I, I, I remember the story now. He, uh, uh, they actually called him to see if he would be in the movie like the first day of shooting, and uh, they asked, where are you at? And he said, uh, I'm in Minneapolis. And they were like, why are you in Minneapolis? You're supposed to be shooting, and he just didn't show up uh, because he was on drugs. You know? So he was already, yeah. So it was already the drug thing, yeah. So it was already coming into it then, yeah. It's a shame because he was so such a lovely man, so talented. It's just it was it's such a shame. Yeah, yeah. He was uh, he was one of my favorites back in those days. Uh, anything with Richard Pryor in it, I would go see. And I really liked, it's funny because later on he did do a movie with Gene Hackman that I really liked. The, um, it's the train movie where it was a takeoff on all the disaster movies where Gene Hackman's the innocent man who is surrounded by murderers and Richard was like this wild con man thief. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're so adorable to get, uh, Silver Streak. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's been really fun to see him in Blazing Saddles, thinking about his performance in Silver Streak with him, with Gene. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, this is great. So, uh, do you uh, regularly interview actors and stuff then too, or, or uh, I just thought you handled writers, but um, 
I'm learning more about you. <laughs> I'm supposed to be learning about you. Uh, sorry, I go off. Um, I interview everybody. The, the show's for anybody who's creative. Okay. Writers, okay, actors, directors, costumers, cinematographers, screenwriters, playwrights, poets. I've interviewed everybody. Great. That sounds like fun. But I just love any good writing. It seems like it would sure be a real job, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, well, I also write, so does that count? <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, that, that's why I do it, too, because it beats, it beats having a real job, so... <laughs> yeah, I know. When I published my first book, I went to work the next day, and that day after it was published. And uh, so, are you quitting? I went. I was working in customer service. I said, "What? Well, now you're going to be rich and famous." I go. Do you know how many people publish books? <laughs> it's like a pin that uh, the people who become rich and famous from writing a book. <laughs> One yeah. pin in an ocean. <laughs> Well, maybe someday if we write enough, it'll happen to us. Mm. I'm just gonna write, and I like getting my little dribs and drabs. I'm just happy with that. Yeah. <laughs> if it happens, it happens. Case or us or us. <laughs> I I get more money from the acting jobs that I did in the '80s than I do from my writing that I do currently. So, go figure. Um, so, what are you up to now? I, I know you're teaching. What are you, are you teaching in Utah? What are you teaching? Yeah, I teach online. Uh, you know, with the COVID, we really can't do much in the way of live workshops. So we've had to adjust a little bit. And uh, I, I've got a new class on writing the epic novel. Um, if you look at the best-selling books of all time, things like, you know, the best-selling book of all time, in fact, is Harry Potter, which is an epic middle-grade fantasy novel of all things, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, but then we get into Lord of the Rings and Dune and science fiction and, uh, and a number of others. So um, I'm getting ready to teach a nice class on that, and that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I'm excited about that one. Um, and then I do some other online classes uh, on a regular basis. And uh, I started a new writing group. I, I, uh, I started an online writing group because I had a lot of students who were scattered around the world in places like Italy and Israel and down in uh, New Zealand and, you know, that type of thing. And so some of them have uh, uh, a problem trying to get together with other writers. And I, I've had this idea for quite some time of trying to create the best writing group in the world. So uh, people that join the writing group get access to all of my workshops. Um, I have fun guests, uh, uh, other authors and uh, editors and agents and whatnot that uh, we interview a couple of times a week. And, uh, and then, of course, uh, we have people joining together into writer's rings and uh, critique groups and things like that so that they can um, better their prose and you know so we're doing a lot of a lot of fun that way so that's that's my apex writing group that's interesting so is it uh how 
how do you join it? I mean, is it open to like students only of yours, or is it open for everybody, well, or how's it work? It's open to everybody. Uh, I, I charge a couple hundred dollars a year, okay, because uh, it does take a lot of work and maintenance. Um, but uh, but yeah, you just uh, type the word Apex and send it to D Wolbert at uh, xmission.com. That's uh, xmission.com, and I can send you a description and uh, a little form to fill out that uh, lets us know a little bit about you. Uh, we want people who are serious about writing, you know, who are not just uh, a hobbyist who think that someday they might want to do it, but are really working toward it. Um, but we, we've got a lot of indie writers, and we've got a lot of uh, people, about 50-50 split of indie versus traditional writers in the group, and uh, uh, it's going along really well. Cool. I have a, a, a question. I've been thinking about it. I was I was rereading um, a couple of uh, books on mythology, and I can't remember who, he's a very famous mythologist who talks about the hero's journey. Do you know who I'm talking about? Uh, Joseph Campbell. Joseph Campbell. Thank you. Blanked out on the name. He said something that always disturbed me. He said that only a male could go on a hero's journey. I just simply do not believe that. No, do I don't you? Think so. <laughs> I, I think you can. I think you can be a female and go on a hero's journey. I think I might understand why he would think that. You know, it's, um, uh, the hero's journey the story is very kind of testosterone driven. But if you look at something like Wonder Woman, I thought they did a fantastic job. I remember sitting down at the theater and watching that movie, and, and uh, you know, about an hour and a half in, there was a certain moment where I looked down the row, and my wife was crying, and the woman next to her was crying, <laughs> and the woman beyond that was crying, and I realized, yeah, they hit it. And, and a lot of women just haven't seen women in a hero's journey before. So I think there's a huge audience out there. And the same thing happened when uh, when they did it with Black Panther. You know, all of a sudden, a lot of young black men were seeing themselves as potential heroes. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's a redefining moment in a person's life. I think it's really important. I think on television, it was Xena Warrior Princess that did that. Was the yeah. I mean, Wonder yeah, Woman think, first, but Xena is more modern, so more people would know that. <laughs> yeah. Yep, I, I love Xena. That was a fun show. And it, I can't call it anything but a hero's journey from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, there, yeah and, and she had uh, Gabrielle, that was sort of her young uh, pupil, so that Xena's... Uh, doing a, a nice job of training her to be a hero, too. Yeah. That, that's another thing that was cool, um, the mentorship of Gabrielle. Because nobody changed as much as Gabrielle did through the series. Uh, Zena didn't change that much, really. No, <laughs> she kind of starts out already being pretty much a full-grown hero, uh, and or, or heroine in this particular case. Uh, and she did a great job of it. In fact, they did a little video game uh, that I wrote a little Xena fight game uh, years ago. Uh, I had to watch every single episode of Xena looking for the best lines so that we could put them in the game. Cool. <laughs> I love that you did that. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, well, it was a lot of fun. It was hard work when you, you know, when 
when you can get it. Well, also, you got to watch a great show from beginning to end. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it wasn't too hard on me. Do you know what was really fun, though? What? I was, I, I was watching these Xena shows day and night, and I got this little office in town in Provo, Utah, and, um, and I went into my office one day, and I heard this Xena music coming from, from the office next door. So I went and knocked on the door, it turned out that there was a composer in there who was, I don't know if you remember the Xena episodes where, where Xena, they do the operas. Mm-hmm. Well, he was oh, yeah. Writing, he was in writing the music and composing all the music for the operas. Oh, that's and so cool. That, that I was like, what a small world that we would have offices next to each other uh, and we're both working on Xena. Yeah, I can't remember my brain lately. But the, the, uh, yeah, that was trying to get over the rift between Gabrielle and Zena and that opera. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, but Lucy has a great voice, so it was perfect for her. Mhm. You yeah. know, she wanted to be an opera singer. Really? Yep. Oh, how fun! She didn't uh, get to do that because she didn't have. She has a great voice, but she doesn't have the full contralto voice that you need to have to be an opera singer. Mm-hmm. And so she switched to acting, which we're all lucky for, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> With some singing on the side. <laughs> yeah, well, I liked it so much that I was even going to write a... Uh, I, I did a spec episode for Xena. Really? I it into the studio just and, and just after I sent it in, the announcement came out that they were closing down the series. So mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I didn't have a chance to even get made. That's sad. Yeah. Next time I'll have to be faster on the uptake. When I find something that I like, uh, make sure that I want to go uh, submit a, a manuscript in a hurry. That's funny because years ago I sent in a, a spec script. It came back with a really nice rejections. I mean, you know, sometimes it's just the form, but yeah. the, the person who was in charge of looking at the scripts, she wrote a really sweet letter. She's like, this is a really good script. Unfortunately, we can't take it right now. Not because there's anything wrong with it, but because we're doing something similar. And I mean, it was really lovely, but I never tried again. And I had the script, and I recently moved, and I was going through trying to figure out what to keep and what not, because it's a smaller place. And I found the script, and I'm like, well, I can't use it for that because the show's not on anymore. So I, I took it, I took all the characters, I changed them, I rewrote it completely, and it became one of my radio shows. <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't ever throw anything away. You never know how you might be able to salvage it. Yeah, I mean, did you ever find something that you took, that you wrote long, long time ago, and you took and you transformed it into something else, and it really worked out, and you didn't think it would? You know, there, there's, that happens once in a while. I just had a story uh, that I wrote last year. That I had had the idea and outlined it 32 years ago. Um, and, you know, it's, it's significantly different. I think I've got a different ending and stuff like that. But uh, but at the same time, it's substantially the same, you know. And uh, uh, I just I just had to do it for fun, you know. Every once in a while, you get one of these ideas, and you're like, 
yeah, that one's been hanging around for 20 years. I better go, I better go knock that one off. That's really cool, though. I love that when you, you can take something that is one thing and you can transform it into another, and, and, and it works, because yeah. you don't think yeah. it's going to. I did, I did that with, um, uh, I, I have these readers and numerous books that are these monsters that very often hide underground, and then uh, they would burst up and, and you know, snatch their prey. Uh, and I did those for my novel, and then uh, I was hired to do some design work for a video game years ago, the StarCraft Root War, and uh, my readers became the observers in that particular video game, which ended up being hugely popular and still used the world championship uh, of video game playing in Korea, uh, you know, the final round. So uh, it's one that's been hanging around now for years. That is really cool. I just think it's really cool that you can do that. It's, I think it shows how creativity doesn't it die, you just can transform it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what are you doing with yourself other than teaching your class during well, the uh, COVID lockdown? <laughs> I'm teaching class. I'm finishing the last book in my Rune Lord series, Call the Tale of Tales. And I've got about 870 pages written so far, probably another couple hundred to write. Uh, I want to finish that up in the next few weeks. I've also got a, a book on writing. I've, I've got a book called Million Dollar Outlines. It was uh, really popular when it came out, and I'm, I'm updating it. I'm going to be doing a, a second edition. And so that's my next project. But I have so many other books that I want to write. I've just got this endless stream of about, uh, about 20 books that I want to write. So um, I'm just going to take an awful lot of time to do that. You know, with the COVID, we're not doing, uh, we're not going to movies, we're not going out, we're not uh, uh, running down to the gym quite as much. And I didn't realize how much of my time I wasted doing things. You know, uh, I can I can be home and be accomplishing an awful lot more uh, in in a lot of situations. So um, I'm just you know I, I'm keeping myself busy. I guess is the easy way to put it. Yeah. Yeah, it's strange. I, there, I don't do a lot outside my apartment because I work, I do my writing, I do my show, I do my radio plays, all that stuff right here. So once a week before COVID, I would meet a friend for coffee and then maybe uh, once a, every couple of weeks I'd have a little adventure because I haven't been in San Diego that long with my brother, because he has been in San Diego for a long time, to take me to places I hadn't seen yet. And that all stopped. <laughs> yes, exactly. I haven't, I haven't done any sightseeing. My wife and I had our anniversary here a couple of, uh, about four weeks ago. We did go to a little hotel um, overnight, um, about oh, 80, 100 miles away from here. Uh, but that's the only traveling we've done, period. You know, we, we don't get out. Oh, I guess one of the other things I do, of course, is I'm judging the writers of the future on a regular basis. And we're coming up on, on the end of the year here pretty quick. So uh, that gets 
pretty busy for me because I've got to judge two quarters uh, and get them judged right next to each other, plus edit the anthology, plus do everything else that I normally do. So, uh, so that's going to keep me pretty well occupied for the next few weeks. Have you started doing the uh, quarters for the Writers of the Future already? Because I thought it was oh, yeah. it, it was postponed until like September or October. Yeah, well, we've, we've uh, I just got done judging the second quarter, and uh, uh, we uh, we announced the winners this last week. Cool. Um, and so that was cool. Uh, we had we had kind of a a sad situation. We had a first place winner who so turned out she had already sent her story in and sold it elsewhere. Oh. And uh, so we had to disqualify her, but it was, would have been our first, uh, well, she, not necessarily the first one, but uh, she was a grand prize winner from a, uh, Eastern Bloc country, uh, in, in, so she's non-English uh, native, you know, so that was fun. Um, I'm hoping that she'll be able to submit another story and win again, because she is really, really sharp. Um, but uh, but we have some uh, some great stories so far this quarter. We've got a lot of people who are stuck at home, and they've been writing stories. And we put up a little uh, writing workshop that uh, was taught by me and Orson Scott Card and Tim Powers. Uh, that uh, is at uh, www.writersofthefuture.com, and uh, you can learn a little bit about what uh, people do and go through when they come to the writing workshop in, in Hollywood, uh, and you can write your own story and submit it. So we've had roughly 3,000 people who've done that in the last uh, month or so. Uh, so we're going to be getting inundated, I think, with stories from people who take the class. That's really cool. And yeah. do you, I know that it's been affecting you guys for the writers of the future and, and the right il, the illustrators too of the future. Oh yeah. Um because you didn't get your award thing and they're pushing yeah, that back have, and Yeah, we're, we're going to have to delay all of that. We're planning on doing it next April. And we're just going to combine two years. Uh we're going to have uh we'll fly everybody in from this last year and for the coming year and uh we'll teach the classes. We'll just have to have bigger classes. Uh, we're going to try to do social distancing as we do it, so we're going to get a great big room uh, to teach in so that people don't have to sit right next to each other. And um, anyway, so we're going to figure out how to make it work. Yeah, it's going to be a weird world. You yeah. know, with the, you know, you have to be separated. And I, uh, I, I always was a hugger, so no hugging. Um, <laughs> Yep, no hugging, no shaking of hands. Uh, yeah, I, I've gotten really good at, at uh, avoiding people, I guess, is what it comes down to. So, you know, I was thinking, would it work if we went back to the stuff of the um, the Regency period where the ladies curtsy and the men bow and nod? There you go. <laughs> you don't touch yeah, each other. And the story is that they all stunk so bad that we had to, you know, carry little perfume sachets around with us and, uh, so that we wouldn't have to smell each other. And if you have those great big dresses, uh, you know, they sort of 
require you to enforce social distancing if, uh, if you've got a bustle on. I don't think so, I could uh, stand that. Um, <laughs> either to have the corset, the bustle, or the smell. No, I don't think so. Um, <laughs> no, I was more thinking we'll do a of. Day yeah. And the other thing that I remember, and this wasn't that long ago, um, I don't know if men did it, but women always had gloves on. They used to wear a hat and gloves. Uh-huh. Maybe we should reinforce that again. Everybody wears, not, but everybody wears the gloves. You know, everybody, a lot of women, they would wear veils with their hats. So having a veil is sort of like having a, a face mask, you know. Yeah, but you know, I mean, if you saw the veils, they wouldn't have kept much out. They were just little lacy things. <laughs> I'm, I'm just thinking, though, there's got to be ways to make designer veils for, you know, for today. Uh, you know, something that's, um, that's artistically pleasing and would go with your outfits and, and that type of thing. That'd be interesting. I mean, it's, it's, I don't know. I just, I guess I've been thinking about it because I was like, I like I like classics, so I watch a lot of classics. I watch uh -huh. stuff going uh, Jane Austen, Charlotte Bronte, to stuff like uh, Miss Fisher and um, things like that. You know, from the twenties and um and um, a couple other shows. I just watch a lot of stuff that's in periods, and as I was watching them, going, "Oh, we could do that. We could do that now. We could do." <laughs> <laughs> But not the, I mean, the clothes are cool, and I, uh, there's people I know who wear vintage all the time, but not to the point of going as far as the way they took care of themselves. Um. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure, what would the, what do you think the guys should do? What would be a classic thing that men can do? Well, you know, I... I've always thought those beaver skin hats were kind of cool. Uh, beaver <laughs> skin hats? Yeah, the black, the black top hats that they used to wear. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Those are made out of beaver skin. Oh, so I didn't uh, know that. Okay. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think we need to skin beavers anymore. We can use, you know, faux leather or something. But, uh, yeah, the, those were cool. And I, I thought that... I thought tails looked nice, you know. Yeah, I, they did. I, I think getting a tuxedo without tails is kind of a waste. <laughs> I think men look really good in a tux or in a white ties and tails. I think they do. There's just some. If, I, if they, the line of the clothing or something, it makes. I don't care what guy it is. They all look good in it. <laughs> you know. I'm not sure why we don't bring back powdered wigs. No, you know? no, I don't want to go like that. Oh, no. No powdered <laughs> wigs. Uh-uh. Nuh-uh. bald, it sometimes makes me wonder what I'd look like with, you, with, with hair, you know, so um, that might be fun. Well, they still do that in um, some places, like uh, and when they have their formal stuff in, um, I think, Parliament. Don't they wear powdered wigs for, like, formal, yeah. formal occasions? I, I think they do. Um, if you're if you're uh, uh, in court too, if I remember right, uh, they do that. So yeah. I just think it's kind of interesting to imagine men wearing those little powdered wigs. <laughs> well, I mean, it's like 
I don't know if you ever saw 1776, but in normal time they did not wear powdered wigs. They just wore their yeah. hair. They did wear their hair long, but it was just pulled back like 1960s or 70s. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, those powdered wigs and everything took up too much maintenance, I think. Yeah, especially here in the Americas, most people did not do that. They didn't go that far. That was more yeah. England. Yeah. But they were really into that kind of thing. Benjamin Franklin in 77 is rougher, more violent. I mean, his description of America was right there. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Well, you know, it, I've been looking online on the news and stuff like that, and um, and you know, I noticed the other day that there were an awful lot of of videos of people being shot. You know, uh, whether it be uh, police encounters or people out taking pot shots at others on the streets of Chicago and stuff like that, and I thought. That's not too different from what gladiatorial combat might have looked like, you know. The the whole fascination with uh, violence and uh, you know those types of outcomes. I think we still have it in us. Oh yeah. Well, you know that the uh, gladiators were like the rock stars of the um, Roman period. So. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Just like um, the Templars. Again, not exactly nice, peach and peaceful people. Um, uh, <laughs> they were the rock stars of their era. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they uh, they definitely drew a lot of attention. You yep. know, between secret societies and you know uniforms and the whole idea of going out looking for treasure in foreign countries and. And especially holy treasure, you know, the idea that uh, that they're finding ridiculous uh, uh, implements and stuff like that, you know, the spirit of and uh, you know Jesus's spear bond, or whatever it is that they come up with, you know. And they also were supposed to have found the menorah from the first temple and melted it down. Um, <laughs> Oh, what a what a waste! Yeah, yeah I know. Uh, yeah, they were very nice. Um, <laughs> I, I I mean, I feel sorry for the way it ended for them, but at the same time, it was sort of like feeling sorry for a mobster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, good riddance. <laughs> yeah. I guess. I mean, it, and what's scary is is our way of banking came from the Templars. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. <laughs> All of that grew up out of the shipping industry and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, it's uh, spread around the world and, and we're all in debt because of it. And when I found out why Friday the 13th was a bad day, I was no longer frightened of it. Because I was a little kid, it was like the boogie thing. You know, yeah. Friday Thirteenth. You gotta be careful. You know, it's just like stepping on a crack and breaking your dad's back and all that stuff. 
Um, and then when I was older, and I, I was in, I think it was Western Civ, my first year in college, and I read, oh, it's when the Templars got caught. And, okay, I'm not scared of it. It doesn't have anything to do with me at all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. We don't have to worry about it. Unless, of course, you're a Knights Templar. Yes, exactly. And that's why I was like, I wonder why it became, I mean, that everybody was, talks about Friday the 13th. It doesn't matter what your background is, what country, well, mostly Western countries, but where in the Western countries you are, what, what kind of a person you are. Everybody was kind of scared of Friday the 13th. And it's kind of strange that that kind of fear grew up out of something that had absolutely nothing to do with anybody except the Templars. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Do you think that in when you're writing your books, um, are you influenced by stuff like history as well as uh, you know whatever your other influences are? Uh, I mean, oh. is it like because I know you write fantasy and science fiction, but do you get inspired by stuff that happened in history because? Of if oh yeah, can translate. And when I was writing, um, you know, the Rune Lord series, when I started it out, one of the things that I did was I went and visited. Uh, I went and visited castles all throughout uh, uh, England and Scotland and Ireland and Wales, and and, um, and also visited museums and that type of thing. Read a lot of books on life in the Middle Ages, and and you can't help finding fascinating stories that uh, you're sitting here going, yeah, that, that could go in. Uh, so you get inspired by a lot of those things, you know. It, uh, the things that really did happen, of course, end up becoming fodder for your story. Interesting. Is it like, do you shape it from some into something else? Or oh, do yeah. you... Uh, and do you reflect back it within the story to what it, where it came from, or do you just use it as that something you shaped it into? I usually just use it. <laughs> so I want to I erase the lines so people don't know where it came from, you know. But at the same time, um, a lot of these history books and stuff are are pretty uh, pretty hard to find. So there's there's not going to be a huge intersection with the readers where they're going to say, oh, that happened to, you know, uh, Duke Dunham in 1402, you know, uh, kind of thing. So so in most cases, people aren't going to get it. But I, I love doing research with my books. Um, when I did my first novel, On My Way to Paradise, I went ahead and read a hundred different nonfiction books just to write that uh, one book because I wanted to to pack information in, and I'm getting ready to do a book right now um, that's set in Fiji, so I've had to go do a lot of research in Fiji, uh, going to uh, some of their museums and uh, interviewing some uh, tribal chiefs and things like that, so I'm having a lot of fun with that. Cool. Um, we don't have a lot of time, so well, first for the um, writers of the future, writers and illustrators of the future, when are the next uh, uh, quarter, and do you know when the awards are going to be? 
Now the awards are going to be held, I believe, in April, about the middle of April, 14th or something like that. Um, uh, I know that they sent me the dates here, and I looked at them and said, well, they're just far enough away, I don't have to worry about them for next week. Uh, then uh, the quarters in the um, next one ends, I believe, September 30th. Um, if you go to www.writersofthefuture.com, uh, you can find the information that you need and you can enter from the portal there and it'll tell you when the when the uh, entry dates are. Uh, most of the time you just enter uh, online so you don't have to send out any paper. There's no charge for doing so. So it's, uh, you know, it's uh, completely free and uh, of course if you want, uh, you can also take the, the uh, little writing course while you're there. Um, to help you get into the mood for writing a story and figure out how to do it better. And do you know what the latest name of the latest book for the Writers of the Future is? Uh, we're on volume 37, mm -hmm. the one that we're that you would be in if you if you were to win now. I think so. Um, yeah. Okay. So it's just L. Ron Hubbard's Writers of the Future, volume 37. And um, what is the name of your class that you're teaching again? I mean, the 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 group that yeah. you have. Uh, that's David Farland's uh, epic novel writing workshop, and you can learn about that by going to www.mystorydoctor.com. And um, are you on the different social media? What is, do you have a handle on those? Is it the same? Oh, yeah. Is it different? David's <laughs> on Facebook. Um, I don't use Twitter too much. Uh, probably Facebook is the best way to get in touch with me. Okay. Are you on Instagram? Uh, I do have a little bit of Instagram account, but uh, not too much. If I run ads, for uh, anything, then they go on to Instagram. Um, but I have my assistant who takes care of, of posting that kind of thing. I don't, I don't go on to it a lot other than that. Okay. Um, I want to thank you for taking the time to come on the show. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you. Oh, there is one other thing. I do have a YouTube channel. Oh, okay. Um, what is your YouTube channel? Information. So David Farland on YouTube. Oh, that's pretty simple. <laughs> David Farland on YouTube. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And what okay, what do you do on YouTube? Okay. What do you do on YouTube? Oh, what do I do on YouTube? Mm -hmm. I have I have classes that I've taught. I do a lot of online teaching, and uh, people started putting them up, and so we're kind of adding to that. I wanna I wanna have a teaching channel that'll be on. YouTube and probably also on Twitch uh, here in the near future. Great. Okay. I didn't know about that. Okay. Thank okay. you. <laughs> thank you again. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Sherry. You have a wonderful day. Thank you. And thank you for chatting with Sherry.